Greetings, race community. Brent coming in live with an extra special guest. That's right, it's my new colleague, JD BB. Welcome, JD. Thank you, Brent. Should I say Brett? So, no, Brent. Brent is my name, and you are JD, and you and I recently merged our companies uh, along with your founding team and our leadership team, and it has been a whirlwind of a couple of weeks as we did our launch ad, if you will. We did our launch party, which I know many of you all uh, listening participated in. And while it might feel like it's been a whirlwind of a couple of weeks, it's actually been a whirlwind of about a year of you and I sort of brainstorming this and catching up nights and weekends. Uh, And so it feels pretty amazing to be at this point and to be able to welcome you as a uh, guest on your own podcast, technically now. Oh, well, thank you. How about that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't even think about it that way. No, it's, it's very exciting. You've done a, done a bang-up job with this podcast, and I am, I am flattered and, uh, and eager to be on it uh, once again, uh, but this time as partners and obviously so many great things ahead of us. I'm, I'm, I'm just excited to get the, uh, the show rolling. Well, we're going to dive into kind of the backstory on how this merger came about, why we're so excited and so forth. But honestly, everybody's heard a lot about that the last couple of weeks. So we're going to mm-hmm. we're going to start by um, here's why I'm excited. One, I know we got a bunch of our colleagues, our new colleagues uh, listening to this right now. We have spent a lot of time together over the last year plus uh, and over the last six years in the vendor circuit in the advancement space. And especially over the last six months as we brought the companies together. But in spite of that, I still need to get to know you better. And so I want to go back in time to Ridgefield High, home of the Tigers. And I want to know about JDBB, junior year of high school. Who was that guy? What was he into? And ultimately, what was your path to Boston University? Oh, Lord. Bringing me back. And I'm back in my hometown of Ridgefield now. So I'm I'm reminded of some of the the fun and stupidity that I uh, I partook in that 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 junior year. Let's see, my junior year, I was a uh, rambunctious scamp in in high school. I played a lot of different sports. I think I was on the swim team, the soccer team, the rowing team, which I went to another town to go on the rowing team, track and field, uh, snowboard. What did I do? I was I was involved in a lot of different sports. Um, I don't know if it was my junior year, but I did spend a year and I'm not sure why. I think I saw Method Man on TRL. This also dates me because um, that's something I don't think some people will know on this, this uh, podcast. But Method Man, I saw him chewing on a toothbrush once on TRL and I said, that's cool. So I spent a year with a toothbrush in my mouth. So I became known as Toothbrush Boy for a bit. Um, so I had very clean teeth during that time. It was just kind of a, a fun thing. I also had just, uh, I don't know that the hair was down to my shoulders at that point, but it was getting there. Um, yeah, I enjoyed school. I really loved what I was doing, but you know, it was, <clears throat> as a lot of people in high school, I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I knew that I liked, uh, being creative. I liked the arts. I liked coming up with dumb ideas with my friends. Uh, and lo and behold, I would go on to, you know, post Foss university start doing silly things with, with one of my buddies, Keith Maneri, who but t- t- tell me about yeah. going to Boston university and studying advertising, which does seem like the perfect foundation for all the creative, you know, crazy yes. things you've gone on to do. And, you know, I don't think I knew what advertising was as a major, like, I don't think it was a major. I don't, I, I didn't know about it. I, you know, this was probably like pre, Mad Men, when I feel like that whole, uh, you know, scene really was exposed to, um, yes. you know, to, to uh, you know, by, by way of the, the show. And so did you know that that's what you wanted to study when you got to BU? Was it, was it easy to pick BU in the first place? Um, and just kind of what was that early, you know, first, uh, second year of college like? Sure. Yeah. So I, I'm not even sure how I, I was similar to you. I didn't even know advertising was a thing until you know, I expressed, you know, what's, you know, what's JD planning on doing with his life? And my parents kind of shared it and they said, Oh, well, advertising seems like the right Avenue for him. You come, you get paid to come up with silly ideas. He, he likes writing. He likes, you know, designing things. So that was the extent that I knew. I said, Oh, that sounds interesting enough. I, that's a, a career path I'd like to do. Those are the things I like doing. Um, so I did know I wanted to go to a communication school. Um, so I ended up looking at, 
the Fordhams, Ithacas, BUs, places that had a good communication uh, college or, or practice. Mm-hmm. So I went in and I just like like watching movies. So I thought I was going to be like, oh, I'll do a film advertising major. And then I did some of those early film classes and I realized this is not for me. I'm just not into watching Andy Warhol movies of someone just staring at a screen for 25 minutes. Um, just not my pace, a um, little too ADD. But the advertising circuit really did start kind of delivering on what I was hoping. It allowed you to think strategically, think critically, uh, use humor, use insights, observations to, to be able to communicate. And um, I just really enjoyed, enjoyed the process. I also thought, I think it was really interesting because at BU, they had a program called AdLab. I believe they still have it, where you're actually assigned to real um, organizations, real businesses around the Boston area that need help with their advertising. So I think the mix of, you know, uh, kind of this higher level thinking, but actually boots hitting the ground and actually having a business outcome. I think that's always been really interesting to me. I like doing things and then seeing the effect of what that has to do. And having been uh, kind of self, self-employed since I was seven years old, my dad whipped up BB Brothers business cards. I think having a creative idea that then leads to uh, a business outcome um, was just always very in- enticing to me. So BU set me up with that. I, I feel that. like if you, if TikTok were around when you were a junior in high school as toothbrush boy, I feel like you'd have a lot of followers. I, I did. And I did have that, like that, you know, that quintessential, like teenage boy, like flop, like hair flop. So yeah, it, I was, would have been the full package back then. I just missed, missed my mark. Oh, well. <laughs> You're doing okay. Uh, so you also did a, a, a stint on the rowing team at BU. Tell yes. me about those early mornings on the Charles River. Whew. Uh, they were early. And to think about it now, I, I wonder how in the heck anyone does it, let alone, you know, an idiot freshman. But um, 4.30, we were up, we were on the water. You know, we were at the boathouse by 5, 5.15, out on the water by 5.30, uh, rowing for those who have done it, it's, it's kind of a masochistic thing, uh, not only physically, but also just mentally. And if you think about it, there's not really, uh, it's a sport with a very short time span. There's really no professionalness to it. You either are big enough and you go to the Olympics every four years. Um, and then that's it. But I'll say from a character building from, a you know, making you determined, uh, kind of helping you. Um, build grit and also just build um, self-character of, of almost kind of becoming, realizing like you're not, you're not the biggest thing in the world because your pain is shared by, you know, these eight, seven other guys that are in this boat with you. Um, I think it was hugely uh, important to kind of the person I became, um, not only from the friendships that you make, you know, the people that you're spending these hours and hours basically just in pain together, but to realizing what it means to be part of a team that, you know, being in lockstep and giving it your all, um, that's what leads to the best outcomes. So I loved it. And, you know, there's nothing like when you're coming in after a long row and the, the, the fog is just coming up off the water on the Charles and it's nice and flat when that, you know, the few times that happens, it's just one of those, those, uh, images that gets baked into your brain and you just, you, you never yeah. forget it. I, uh, I, I say this, frequently because people will say, Hey, Oh, you know, we know you played football in college. That must've been a really big time commitment, uh, which it was, but I have this memory that I, I will never forget where we would be walking into our winter workout practices, just kind of trudging our way to the gym for the 6 30 AM start before our full day of class. And the crew team would be leaving the facility because they were already done with practice. Yeah. And it, and it always yeah. made me sort of, uh, you know, I guess, uh, it made me feel a little bit less uh, sorry for myself after seeing like truly the level of uh, commitment and just the sheer, like getting up at four 30 in college is, is no joke. So you're, you're having that experience at BU. You're liking that intersection of creative and business mm-hmm. and, you do a couple of interns, you do a stint at KHIZ TV in LA. Any uh, good memories? I mean, LA TV, that's kind of like, yeah, it was pretty cool when you're in college. So I, that was through a, through a consulting group that I met that was uh, a bunch of 
ex-Harvard guys that had a consulting firm right there in, uh, in Cambridge. Cambridge Square? No, what's the square? Harvard Square, I guess. It's yeah. right, right, right over there in Cambridge. And they had me doing everything under the sun. I was an accountant for a bit. I was writing scripts. I was doing graphics, you name it. Um, the big thing about that, 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 uh, that, that station was out in Victorville, California. I don't know if you've ever been there, but. <laughs> Not yet, but it's on the list now. It's, it's quite, it's the high desert. Um, so I think the most fun thing I did was we had this concept for the high desert, uh, action news squad, which was, you know, very much kind of having a tongue in cheek anchorman style, uh, news squad that would go out and, uh, report on kind of all the happenings of Victorville, which, um, no offense to those that are in Victorville. It's just, there's not a ton going on up there. It's, it's just very hot. It is the for. home of the California Route 66 Museum, though. Well, there you go. Well, that's the hot, that's uh, that's when I said hot. It's very hot there. It's, it's the hottest thing in town. Um, Got it. That was fun. Yeah, and that and that group. You know, shout out to to Peter White and and, uh, and Garrett Law that that kind of gave me my first real job. So love that. And so you graduate in two thousand seven. Yep. And it it seems like the kind of entrepreneurial, I mean, you were doing side hustles before side hustles were cool, basically. And uh, it, it's clear that you got very connected and engaged with, I mean, advertising was, and still is, but really at that time, it was going through a massive disruption, right? A massive Huge. transformation from, you know, madmen to digital. You couldn't have been in college at a better time to sort of see some of that transition happening. Um, and it led you to throw your uh, uh, kind of hat in the ring early on as it relate, related to the internet and getting involved in uh, some niche websites, uh, for example. And so tell me a little bit about bejustinbieber.com, <laughs> et cetera. Um, and just yeah. like, what was the catalyst to throw up your first website and, and really, when I look at this, like the way that Wayfair started, like Wayfair, which has obviously become this dominant, you know, e-commerce provider, mm-hmm. is originally they just had a whole host of, of niche websites that they bought up and they owned SEO. And so it's like if you yep. Googled, you know, hat racks that you were going to land on like hatracks.com and it was like technically owned by something called CSN stores, which then rebranded yeah. and became Wayfair. But back in the day, it was just huh. a whole bunch of websites. And when I look at hangoverbeard.com and bejustinbieber.com, it feels like you were kind of in that early Wayfair you know, uh, zone. What do you think? It's it's interesting. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that I didn't know that about Wayfair. But yes, yeah. there was there was a time before you could even just be a, a seller on Amazon because they weren't doing that yet. I remember almost getting into selling those big Beerstein boots. I, you know, like the uh, like selling liter hosens. There was one point where I was trying to sell basketball hoops because the same thing because you you had all these niches and you said well what's what's got the seo who's your competition how do i drop ship this thing or you know how do and, i get and we just we just went through halloween yes and it sounds like you had some real halloween expertise right, as halloween it related hits. to seo so walk us through the halloween hits sure so so that started with uh the hangover beard so for anyone remembering the hangovers movies zach alfanakis had that big bushy beard. I said, man, everyone's going to want to be Zach Alphanax for Halloween. I just, I had the feeling, whipped up the website, WordPress blog, PayPal buttons, nothing to it. But uh, I really took advantage of some of the early uh, iterations of Twitter when there was a lot of third-party integrated tools that could really make you, allowed you to do a lot more than you could do today. So basically I would preset all these canned responses so that anytime someone mentioned uh, Zach Alphanakis hangover, you know, Bradley Cooper, whatever it might've been, they would get this kind of auto tweeted kind of surly response from the hangover beard, which was kind of this, you know, this frustrated, angry um, beard character that I came up with. And that just started to, to propagate and people started really interacting with it. That got the uh, attention of LA Times, MTV started writing about it. And that started the ball rolling on that business where I started, you know, sold one beard, I sold 10 beards and I sold a hundred beards. It just kept going. And I said, holy moly, this could be its own thing, which then led the next year to be Justin Bieber, Snooky Poofs from the, uh, the Jersey Shore, Kardashian hair. So I was I focused mostly on wigs because it's just one, one size fits all, which 
is always good when you're talking about inventory. And through that, I did end up meeting uh, the guy who owned HalloweenCostumes.com at one point. So I met some some Halloween celebs. I went to the Spirit Halloween, uh, their their uh, their showcase center in uh, New York City. Got to see all the new costumes for the, I forget what it was, 2012. Yeah, pretty exciting stuff. Unreal. And so uh, when you think back to the lessons learned, because what I do love about entrepreneurship and for anybody listening, well, f- first of all, just walk us through the process. Like, yep. did you start with, you started with the solution, which is the world needs hangover beards available easily through the internet. And then the world needs Justin Bieber gear and then needs yep. Snooky gear. So you didn't necessarily do a lot of market research to identify a problem. You just went to it with high conviction, but what was the actual, like, what's the supply chain? A lot of, a lot of talk about supply chain these days. Sure. So what was the supply chain to stand up? Uh, you know, the, the, the hangoverbeard.com. So I think, I think you're giving me even too much credit for thinking the world needs X. I, I it was more, Hey, this would be fun. So I, I've always taken the approach of baby step your way into into a reality and there's you know this idea of sunken sunken cost that i just you know at a certain point if you go into it ha- for it having to be a success then you're going to be disappointed when it's not if you go into it as this is going to be a fun thing and let's kind of i'm scratching an itch that i, I want to see how many other people are are also willing to scratch so with with hangover beard i made the website wordpress free wordpress site whipped up a few paypal buttons you know had fun with the copy and then just, uh, and I found a beard. I had ordered a beard to uh, actually a number of them just to see which one I liked the most. And then I Googled, how do I become a reseller? And turns out you got to fill out some paperwork, you know, it's at, at town hall, go down, you fill that out. Suddenly now you can purchase things in, in bulk. So it was just, and you know, at a certain point, then how do I create an LLC? What do I do with sales tax? This or that. All that was learned on the fly. That was not I did not feel like, hey, I need to know every single one of these items before I start. I just kept going down the road and as it became more and more successful. And I was like, wow, this can be something I can dedicate more time to. Then I invested more in learning about it. And that, that got to a full-blown p- place where by the third year, we were um, designing costumes in Shenzhen, China. We were learning the import business. Uh, I was learning how to negotiate with uh, manufacturers. So, I mean, again, you, you'd be surprised how fast things can ratchet yeah. up if you, if you find interest and success. I mean, this is just like, it's the best experience because you do get forced to learn all of these things that yep. when you hear, you know, getting your sales tax set up as a 20 something like that sounds, you know, yeah. like the no, thanks. whatever black, black magic. And, and yeah. it's, uh, you know, you can figure it out though. And uh, it's funny, my, my brother who uh, is seven years younger than me went to Brown. And when he was there, he started uh, Brownopoly where he just made a brown version of oh, the Monopoly wow. board game. He got like the university rights to uh, use like their image and likeness. And then Love he it. found a manufacturer in China and like sold them at the bookstore. Sold, you know, for like, there probably still a few at the bookstore, but, um, but it sounds like a pretty similar um, experience. And, and that being said, this wasn't the only thing you were doing at the time. I just want to like highlight, like this truly no. was a side hustle. And so yep. um your day job at the time is in the agency world, yep. pro, you know, at the forefront of this transformation to digital advertising, but I'm sure mm-hmm. still getting a big window into traditional advertising. And so it had to be a super interesting period, almost like being at a, like a, you know, working with a publisher that makes textbooks. And it's like, how do we sort of both be online and digital, but also not d- sort of disrupt our, our current business. And so what was it like? Tell me about Goodby Silverstein and partners, um, oh, and, uh, yeah, what, what, uh, kind of the takeaways were there? That was, I, I can't, you know, I can't shout out enough everyone that, that was at Goodby, who's still at Goodby, who was part of that, that journey. Um, I think in terms of advertising, if we look back at the, the history of advertising, I feel like I was at like this, the, the hollowed ground at the best time you could possibly be there because to your point, Goodby was always pushing the envelope. They knew they, they were masters in like the old craft in, in commercials, got milk, you know, I'll just leave it at like, that's the, you know, if you, if you ever saw the got milk, they're the good be guys. They were funny. They were smart. They were some of the most intelligent people, creative people. 
excited, hungry people all working at the same place. Um, a fun little fact, when I left, um, the rapper that would go on to become Little Dicky took my job. So this is the kind of caliber of people that were working there, this kind of creative uh, you know, uh, confluence of people. It was the best uh, education I could have gotten because you everything, everything that the internet allowed for, everyone at our company was breaking. They were like every single thing you thought you could do with the internet, they were, they were kind of turning it on its head. So that just got me exposed to thinking you, it's like, there is nothing off limits. You can really kind of uh, dream things up. And being in San Francisco at the time, we also had access to the startups, which again, if you think back 2007, 2010, that's really when, you know, I was writing blog articles back in the day about like, is Facebook going to overtake MySpace? You know, who knows? And I was, you know, looking at the graphs and that got me started too, of realizing the way to level up in my role was to just get really um, uh, eager and excited and learn as much as I could about kind of the changing world around me, which led me to, to found uh, this blog that I wrote, I think somewhere in the range of 12 to 1500 articles, New Antisocial, which was just more or less me learning about uh, the digital transformation, which thank God I did that because that got me from a role that I was quite poor at to uh, move over to the, the digital strategy or the media strategy side of the house to eventually become the director of social media, which was great because I was an account manager for a while. I'm not terribly organized. So that, that saved me for myself. And, and so you're, you're kind of climbing the ranks, I'm sure working like crazy, also doing the side hustle um, and, and just, uh, just trying a bunch of things. I mean, you got a lot of stuff going on at this point in your career. Um, and, uh, and, and just tell me about some of the additional stops before, uh, ultimately, uh, you founded thank you. And maybe, uh, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about noise marketing. Cause I know that that was an important, yep. um, important, uh, kind of inflection point. Uh, and then, of course, we need to talk about BB's butt camp. So let's uh, let's start with with noise. I'd be most remiss there. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, after Good B made a, a short stop at uh, at Saatchi and Saatchi in LA, where I became a writer. Eventually, became a creative officially, you know, professionally a creative, where I was a a writer. Which which that was the first. Um, I'd say that was a, a monumental point in my own life of kind of always thinking I was this person, but never being fully affirmed as this person so to, to, uh, to join the creative team uh, that did worlds of good in, in my own personal life. That led me on to, to work at Noise, um, where I became a creative director. Uh, I met Jerry Bai, my, uh, my now co-founder and CTO. Um, and I had gone to Noise specifically to meet a Jerry, to meet, to meet my, my, uh, the folks that would build the things that I wanted to build and build together because a lot of agencies, they, they third party that out to another group. So you will put the concept together, then it'll get shipped off to Stockholm and they'll go build some cool thing and you'll never meet the people who made it. I was able to do that, um, worked on some really fun, fantastic brands there. But by that point, I, you know, I'd actually gotten that job because of, of my side projects. And I think the side project at the time that was really making its way around town was, well, there were two. One, Goodby, unfortunately, had, let, had, had to let a number of people go about 75 people go because in advertising you lose an account that's just how the game works and people get get let go unfortunately so i made a website called grab some good Bee, which essentially if you if you were let go i asked for five pieces of information i put everyone on a single website which i built on a tumblr site again it was free got about 75 people on there tons of interest driven to it and within months uh, within a month i think 50 percent or more of them had already gone back into a job and you know, these were people that were thinking they were going to have to leave San Francisco and now they were getting job offers at Apple. And so it was, it was fantastic there. So that was making the rounds. And then it was around Valentine's Day and I made a website called hammergram.com talking about Mad Men, uh, where I would make love notes, you know, written from the, the desk of handsome man, John Hamm, uh, who played Don Draper and uh, sold a few thousands of those. That was on the front page of a bunch of newspapers. And then it turns out you can't do that. Uh, so John's Hamm's lawyer's reached out with a cease and desist and said, stop doing that. And so I did. Um, but that kind of opened the door to get me at Noise. And that at that point, at Noise, I became this creative director. I, was, I started kind of seeing what it, what it took to, to run something that was much larger than kind of a side hustle. And then realizing kind of, you know, there was a lot I didn't know, but I knew enough to feel, hey, I could do this. Um, so at a certain point, that allowed me to 
jump off. And I actually took New Antisocial, which was my previously my blog, turned that into an advertising agency when we won the business of Spartan Race. Uh, and I won some Intel business and a handful of other clients. Uh, the guy who would go on to do the Fire Fest, he was a client for a bit. That's a story for another time. I won't say too much incriminating stuff on this one, but that led us to start New Antisocial, uh, which again, this, this, it kind of started feeling like a snowball because we had a gym client who didn't like ClassPass, which was a thing at the time where you could pay one rate and get into all these different studios that may be interested in ClassPass. I had gone to a Barry's boot camp. My last name's BB. I said, let's do BB's butt camp. I know nothing about, I know nothing about working your butt out or exercise generally, but again, found an instructor, Jasmine on, on Craigslist. She was fantastic. And we just took it one step at a time. And within four months, we had a studio space with two classes by its height. We were 22 classes a week, second highest rated studio in New York city on Yelp. Um, just having a, a heck of a time. I became an instructor. I was teaching five classes a week in great shape. Um, yeah. I mean, I look back, I look back at that time very fondly. It was just a lot, a lot of fun. There's a remarkable common thread here of, of you basically hacking SEO. And when I say hacking, I don't mean like breaking into it, but just like finding tricks related to SEO. I mean, basically you hacked SEO to sell beards. You hacked it to, to create a marketplace for your former colleagues in a certain regard. And then within ClassPass, you, uh, you hacked it because the B was at the beginning well, it was actually uh, two the, zeros. So it was two it was zeros. Like so it was the alphanumeric first thing in New York City. Got it. And so you were literally the first thing that showed up on ClassPass and then became one of the top uh, top classes. And uh, in a similar instance, even with BB's Butt Camp, you you basically you didn't build anything yourself. You sort of assembled these different pieces that existed. You didn't manufacture beards yourself, but you found things that existed and sort of packaged it up. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, uh, it's for sure a recurring theme in, in, uh, in what had been this, uh, this uh, just genuinely entertaining, but also, uh, uh, you know, very uh, educational um, boot camp into, uh, you know, in, into the world of advertising and business. Absolutely. And so, of course, Given everything you've shared from Ridgefield Tigers through BB's Butt Camp, this of course leads you to wanting to found the leading gratitude <laughs> video messaging donor engagement platform in the nonprofit space. It, we've been on this path all along. I know. All roads and, were leading uh, me. Obviously, there. you went to found thank you after this. Uh, no, explain. Uh, you know, another recurring theme like let's throw some things against the wall and see what sticks and then decide where to go from there. Yep. And I know your founding story at Thank You. You've shared it quite a bit, although you always share it in like one sentence. You say, I started Thank You because I didn't want to handwrite my wedding, my wedding uh, thank yous, basically. Yep. Um, that, that is too quick of a, like you don't start a company or build a product just so you don't have to handwrite wedding notes, or maybe you do, but like really, truly walk me sure. through, like you got married, you're sitting with your wife, Liz one night and you're like, Hey, I should start a video platform. Cause I don't want to get through this list of things. I mean, tell me uh, the truth. Here. What are we talking about? I it's, it is a, it's more than one sentence, but I don't know if it would even make a whole paragraph quite honestly. I mean, you have, you have to think about it this time. Like we, so Keith and I, again, you know, high school friends, just consummate schemers. Again, I think we, we, uh, we often don't, we don't, we don't think deeply enough about how hard things are going to be or, you know, how, how insurmountable certain things are. And then we just, you know, give it, give it a go. And, you know, sometimes it works out. Um, but we were in a point where we were such in the creative, like mindset, we would come in every day to work and there'd be five new ideas. We got this, 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 and this, and we would just, spend like the first half of the day, just going through the ideas that were like, Oh, maybe we could try this. Maybe we could try that. Like, believe me, there's, there's a laundry list of, of businesses to, to start. Um, you know, if anyone's interested, I got a whole list for you. Um, but at that point there were a, a handful of ideas that I was really into 
and again, I think it was like this, this uh, idle hand syndrome. You know, we, we had the new antisocial that was taking up a lot of time. I was running around town with BB's butt camp. That was taking a lot of time. It was almost because I was so busy. It was like, oh, I might as well be more busy. So, and, and one thing I will give credit to a lot of my friends uh, was when I have ideas, I like to circulate them. I, I don't like, like holding them close. I like kind of getting feedback and what do you think about this? And I had a whole slew of, of concepts at the time. One was kind of like a dating concierge site that could set up these very, you know, thoughtful, bespoke dates for you. Um, Cause I'm a terrible, pr- I don't, I don't set dates uh, very well. I'm just a bad date setter with my, with my wife. So I could use the service myself, but a lot of my friends were saying that thank you thing. I think there's legs there. I think that's what you should pursue. So it really was, let's build the, let's build the prototype. At that point, Jerry had been at a number of different places. He had done some project work for us. So he had built some sites some microsites for us. He really wanted to work with us. It was kind of have to say no to him twice. And then, you know, yes, the third time it was like, Jerry, we can't afford you. You're way too good, but I have this idea. And if you like it, you know, you're, you're a quarter of it's yours and you can start today and pitched him. And he said, yes. So that's really, you know, we kind of went into it of saying, let's invest a number of months and some of the money we've saved up from these other, these other things to give it a go. Cause I should also mention, we've done a lot of projects that were complete failures too. Like not everything's a hit. There's a lot of stinkers. So we're no, we're no strangers to just waste, wasting money, losing money. So we were prepared for it to not work. But we built a product. It worked like gangbusters. I tried to get every one of my, my you know, newlywed uh, friends to use it. I used it. I thought it went great. Um, but when we didn't start seeing the traction there that we wanted, you know, that, was, that we felt comfortable with, because we always kind of think it's like we're swinging on a vine and you don't want to let go of the one vine you're on, jump to the next if you don't know it's going to be there. Um, so we, we weren't confident in saying no to the business we had with New Antisocial and, and the fitness studio until we started trying to sell to, I started trying to get every other fitness studio using, using thank you, because I was using it at, at, at butt camp. So every time you come to class, you get a video from me afterwards saying, Hey, thank you so much. Here's a referral link, send it with your friends. And it was working great. So we pivoted a bunch um, to try to find something. And it wasn't until I made a donation to Boston university and they sent me a bookmark eventually. And I thought, man, this would, wouldn't this be cool if the student sent it and kind of circulated that with Keith and the team, they were kind of like, yeah, yeah, that, that, that could work. Like what the hell, we have nothing else to lose. So through some help of our, our, um, my deans, I asked for the donation department, which we know is not a thing. It's the advancement department and went up to Boston, pitched to a big room of people and their reaction was so immediate that, you know, you ask like, this is what, you know, how'd you get into this space? I had no idea the space existed until that meeting. And then I left that meeting saying, this is what we're doing. And it took us a little bit of time to all full, full come around to that. But, you know, thank God we did because this is absolutely the place we, we were meant to be. I love it, man. It's, uh, it, it's so fun to hear those origin stories. And, and I've heard yours a number of times, but not to that full extent. And it is another example where you didn't invite, thank, you didn't invent thank yous. You didn't invent video. Mm-hmm. You didn't invent, you know, email distribution, um, but you did find a niche that was really ripe for digital transformation and innovation the same way that the advertising space was a decade before. And, um, you know, I know you didn't uh, foresee this, you know, being a pivot from BB's butt camp into the leading donor engagement solution, but, but here it is. And yeah. what you did do incredibly well, and I started seeing this when we first met at a conference in Pittsburgh, is once you made that pivot and once you saw that this stuck to the wall in a big way, um, you did stay laser focused in this vertical. And even though you didn't know anything about it, um, you really became a student of the vertical. You surrounded yourself with great advisors who knew everything about the vertical. And I think that allowed you to build a really, really authentic brand and a compelling product, even though it wasn't maybe your life's work uh, up until that point. And so tell me about that early education process. Once you met with BU, and then I think you met with Boston College, and, um, and, and you decided this was going to be it, how did you 
surround yourself with uh, people that would help be that sounding board and get you up to speed um, as fast as you were moving um, in the nonprofit fundraising space. Yeah, and well, first of all, you, you couldn't have put it better yourself. I, or my, I, couldn't, I couldn't have put it better myself. I, I think it was, you know, once realizing that this was an audience, um, then it was just, you know, being as, as you know, as uh, having as much humility as possible and going into every situation, just being prepared to not, not know the answer. And, and I think one thing that, and, and a reason why I've loved working with this, this audience specifically, you know, fundraisers, university advancement, um, is everyone so nice and everyone's like very much wants to, to teach you. It's not, it's not a place where information is withheld. There's this idea of, of, you know, the haves and haves nots. Did, just, different vibe than the New York advertising scene. I mean, same uh, vibe, different vibe. I mean, a <laughs> little bit different. I mean, listen, I, I think people are genuinely pretty nice everywhere, but I'd say university fundraisers and, and fundraisers in general just tend to be like over index on the, like the goodness scale. Um, and really just became about, I have an idea. I like we've demonstrated that it has uh, application for what you're doing, but I have no other idea beyond that. Like you now tell me, I know how to send personalized videos. Now what else, like, what do you need and what's going to work for you? And how does your team, how's your team structured? And what is the difference between donor relations and annual giving? And even once you, you know, one thing, especially being out on the, the conference circuit with you and others was um, even though I would know the answer, I would, I would often pretend that I didn't to ask people, well, oh, I'm in, I'm in university advancement or I'm in the annual giving team. Cause also what one person means at one university is not what they mean at the other. So I just really made it a point to never assume that I knew the answer about what anyone did or, you know, what, what mattered to them. And ultimately that just, you know, when you, when you just ask people questions and don't assume, you know, know the answer, they're very forthwith with telling you about it, which then I think after having those conversations hundreds or thousands of times, you start to, you start to understand in aggregate, okay, here's what I'm trying to do. And here's who I'm trying to help versus I have, you know, I have the idea. I have the, the laser vision. I know exactly what you need. It's much more, let tell me what you need and let me synthesize that a thousand times and, and try to give you what I think you're saying to me. When you think about the first couple of years of uh, the company, what are some of your favorite memories? You know, one, one thing that I've heard and, and have definitely experienced that um, one is, is culture tends to be formed pretty early and it's sort of the hardest thing to change. You can always change the product roadmap, really hard to change the culture, hard to yeah. change how tr people treat each other and so forth. And, um, I, I am curious when you think about those early years, just any traditions or uh, things that, you know, you, you look back on fondly that maybe aren't exactly the same way today, but you can still see the kind of, um, uh, you know, fingerprints of some of those, those early uh, traditions on, on the current team and culture. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. We've, we have, we've had such like a fun group of people and it's always like, I'll say that the thing I'm always reminded of is just like, I've always had a lot of fun and I, you know, it's, it's tougher because we're not in person now, but just the amount of laughter and jokes and, you know, sometimes stupidity that happens near the end of the day. It's like, you never, it was very rare that I come home uh, in a bad mood. Um, and I'd say things like we used to do huzzas when the team was smaller. So once a month, someone got uh, the opportunity to present or kind of do a, uh, presentation or some sort of event that they had organized. So um, I think about the day where we did a scavenger hunt around New York City in the polar vortex. That was quite cold, but quite fun because um, it there was some there's some weird elements to it that I won't go into. But there was that we had uh, murder mystery parties. We had you know eating uh, eating cuisines from Haiti and Puerto Rico and drinking wine from places that you know their families grew up in France and trying to recreate um, the, the artwork of the masters using color pencils. You know, it's, it's just a lot of fun things that we did. And uh, in a similar vein, we, we had a, a teammate who's, who since moved on to a, a new opportunity, but she used to make these bizarro birthday videos. Every single, every single birthday she would, and I, it's not even worth describing them because they're almost like hallucinogenic at times, but 
they were just so funny and so weird and that just kind of laid the groundwork of you can you can be weird you can be yourself here it's you know we're doing serious things but you don't have to take yourself seriously which i think is a theme that's run through almost everything that that i've done and keith and i have done together where it's we have to, like you have to have a good time to 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 have good times with with others and um I just think, you know, every teammate basically embodies, you know, you could take anybody and, and throw them into a new situation. They're going to infuse it with that thank you fun. I love it. We've definitely felt that in the last uh, couple of weeks collaborating with, with our new, new teammates. And you've mentioned uh, Jerry and how, you know, part of your reason for taking the job was to meet a Jerry and you met Jerry and you went and did exactly what you hoped you would do. Once you met a Jerry, you've referenced Keith a couple of times. Tell me a little bit about Keith your history and uh, what Keith has brought to the, to the thank you uh, brand. Oh yeah. So Keith and I have known each other. He, we have different memories of when we met each other, but I would go with Keith cause he tends to have a greater Keith will remember exactly what he wants to remember to the, down to the, like the last hair, but then I'll mention someone from high school. It's like, Hey, remember that guy? And he's like, no, I, I don't think I've ever heard that person's name. So for things he does care about, I'd take his, his story. We've been friends since, since ninth grade. We ended up both going to school in the Boston area together. Then he went over to London. I, I, was, I was over in London around the same time. They were both out in California around the same time. So we've, we've been friends and we've been friends in proximity for, for a really long time. And when he, uh, I got him a freelance gig with Noise and eventually hired him as an art director at Noise, that, that already, I was like, this is great. Like now I'm working, you know, I have multiple friends here and we're, we're doing great things together. But once we kind of jump ship to go start our own thing, I mean, like any partnership, it has had, it's had its ups and downs and that not going to sugarcoat that we haven't wanted to strangle each other every once in a while. But ultimately Keith is just one of those, uh, uh, th- those creative powerhouses where he can do so much and is, so thoughtful. And I think he brings uh, oftentimes maybe where I maybe will lose the thread on the fun or, you know, be a little bit too serious about business. Um, we'll kind of remind saying, Hey, we, you know, the fun is also how we got here. So um, I'd say that both of Keith and Jerry, they've, they've been really important. And I think just as, as partners helped when one of us might be blind to something kind of, you know, the other two showing, Hey, th- like, let's not forget the fun. Let's not forget about the people. Let's not forget about each other. Um, so yeah, I mean, I love Keith and Jerry. I mean, I, uh, I have really enjoyed getting to know them. And as we've discussed, I had two co-founders and, uh, it's been, you know, many years since they left. And, um, as we've been working on this merger, it's almost felt like we're sort of co-founding a new company or like the Mm -hmm. new chapter and being able to, you know, uh, work on this with you and, and also with, with Jerry and Keith, it's just been really um, invigorating to kind of, um, you know, feel like we are sort of starting something new, obviously with the foundation. And we, we do know something about the industry and we know a lot yeah. of amazing people who will help point us in the right direction. So it feels like our, you know, our odds should be much better uh, this time around. Um, yeah. But uh, ultimately I, I still think it's that balance of, 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 you know, being a really genuinely fun, you know, mission driven place to work that still asks customers what they do in the annual fund. Uh, even though we might feel like we really know, like we might not know about your annual fund or your job at your annual fund. And like, how do you sort of bring that um, sort of genuine interest and curiosity, even when you've told the story about not wanting to handwrite your, your wedding notes a thousand times. And I've told my story about volunteering for Brown and being captain of the football team a thousand times. And it's like, yep. how do you still do it with the same level of energy and, and enthusiasm? And I will say that from where I sit, you know, being able to come together with, with your uh, team um, in pursuit of an even bigger vision in pursuit, I think of uh, truly transforming the sector. If we get this right and we listen and we stay connected to the customers, it's not that we don't have mm-hmm. the resources or the people um, we have all of that. We know what the problems are. It's really just going to be a continued, um, you know, evolution of how we put all that together. And it's just been very, very energizing to feel like we uh, could leave a lasting mark uh, on the space if we, uh, if we do right by our teams and by our customers. Well, I, I, I have gotten the same energy off of you and I can see the, the, I know, I know you're still 
jazzed up after the thousandth time telling your story. And I can tell that, you know, just this combination, you know, I don't think, I don't see you losing one, one iota of, uh, of energy. And, and certainly I'm, I'm more energized than I've been uh, in a long time. So this is, you know, blue skies ahead. All right. Good vibes. So we have not talked about how to use thank you or what our integration plans are going to be in the product roadmap. And we will have countless opportunities to share all of that. And uh, I think the purpose of the podcast is more just genuinely getting to know people. Um, that being said, when you think about the space, when you think about the role that video in general, thank you specifically has played three years from now, five years from now, when we're doing, you know, another episode of this podcast, what change do you expect to see in the next three to five years? A lot of the folks listening to the Raise podcast are innovating. They are pushing. They do want to really be at the forefront of the change in this sector. And they are candidly the folks that are going to do the work um, and make the execution happen. Three to five years from now, what do you hope we're talking about? What do you expect that we might see as it relates to the next gen uh, iterations of our work together? Yeah. I mean, one that just a, a great hope I have is just that the volume, the, especially the volume of personalized content just increases dramatically. And I think the other things are being smart about the, uh, you know, utilizing the the metadata or the, the information that you already have, and you may not know that you have it today, but how do we use the data that already exists in platforms like Evertrue? If I know you're interested in, let's just say golf, um, if I know you're interested in golf and we see that there is a threshold, a certain audience uh, large enough that is also interested in that topic, that should then trigger someone on your team to say, hey, let's go create some, some content around this theme. Let's maybe use something that's more uh, academic. So uh, physics, you know, once everyone's interested enough about physics, let's start creating uh, content around physics. And then let's start thinking about that in almost an episodic uh, manner, the same way that Netflix thinks about it. Um, and why do we think about making things in a more episodic manner? Because if I know you're interested in something and I start to creating content in that direction and I see you are engaging with it to a certain capacity, that just means I have found, I have, uh, again, scratched the itch that this is the sort of content that you're looking for from this sort of organization. That's going to build that more deep relationship. So then you have the reason for someone reaching out, hey, we have a new physics wing that's, that's coming out. Whereas before, if all I'm doing is knowing that you graduated with a physics degree and I'm hoping that you'll engage in this, it's a very one-sided relationship. I haven't done anything to basically honor the relationship and the time between the asks. So I think from a personal perspective, the more that we can be creating the, the one-to-one connections, and I think that's mm -hmm. really achievable. That's just through how do we turn more of your student callers into student recorders? How do we get more people on campus involved in the video creation process? Because it's just so easy and accessible. Everyone can do it. Um, that's the first piece. But then it's thinking about how do we, how do we identify those themes with, with tools like Evertrue? And then how do we execute on them with you know, episodic content in platforms like Thank You to then, you know, again, it's, it's, it's kind of like someone tells you the answer and then you feed the answer back to them. They're like, wow, you really get me. Right. That's, well, that's I mean, look, it's like, we, we talk a lot about Cameo, right? And like Cameo has been this amazing rocket ship by truly creating personalized one-to-one -one videos from celebrities to fans. But for me to send you a, a Cameo, I need to know what you like. I need right. to know what you're interested in or else it could fall very, very flat. If I really know who, what you like and, and, and uh, what celebrity would make you the sort of happiest or get you the most jazzed, then I can get really, really creative. And, um, and, and I think that's the intelligence that we're hoping to bring together is, you know, not everybody, you know, it's hard to work and serve a 50,000, 100,000 person community and know what everybody likes. It's not realistic. But if you can sort of leverage the content to start to infer what people like, you know, track what somebody's engaged with on, on, on Facebook, for example. And right. if I know that you're a huge fan of the golf, team at our college well then of course my cameo star is going to be the golf course or it's going to be the sorry the golf coach or it's going to be the captain of the golf team and that's the individual that i want to request to send a thank you video to you and so it's like that kind of scalable cameo like experience 
we can do. Like we have not done that yet. We've got the pieces in place that you could start to get at what I just said. But I think making that seamless is really what um, what could wow uh, the donor um, far deeper into the giving pyramid than the very very top uh, one or two percent. Hundred percent. Yeah, and that's. I think that's that is what we will achieve, and we'll you know, and that's just from the video front. I think there's so many other things that we're going to be doing in that same time frame that's going to continue to revolutionize this and make it easier for our clients to, to do more. Love it. Well, JD, I would like to um, keep going here, but as you know, we need to hire a new CFO. And so I'm going to go from this call <laughs> to getting started on that. Wonderful. Uh, any, anything um, that uh, you'd like to, I don't know, share in closing um, uh, today. I just want to say thank you to you through this whole process. Uh, you know, we spent a lot of time, on me, I'd love to turn the tables on you, perhaps for the next, you know, raise podcast. Oh, oh, guest host. I yeah, like it. you know, let's see, let's get the let's get the whole backstory. Um, okay, but no, I really appreciate you know spending the time being able to talk about my favorite subject myself, but also uh, my second favorite topic, which is of course uh, the the company that we're growing here together. Um, I'm super excited about what we're doing. No, no doubt, man. Thank you for the the good vibes, the energy for taking this uh, leap of faith and um, good things lie ahead. And so I think with that, I will uh, sign off. I would just say, Hey, you know, touch base. If you're listening to the podcast, reach out to JD on LinkedIn, uh, you know, shoot him a note. Uh, if you have ideas or you have questions, we're going to be uh, now that we've got this merger behind us, spending a whole lot more time with uh, all of you listening. Uh, and we'd love to kind of hear uh, what you're up to and, and how we might be able to help. And so, with that, uh, I think that I will I will sign off, JD. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm going to just bring it home by saying uh, that was uh, JD BB, aka Toothbrush Boy, from Ridgefield High. Take care, everyone. Thanks, Brent.